This episode is sponsored by EOP Media. EOP Media exists to advance the marketing discipline and move it out of the cycle of reactive and redundant change. That is why we say EOP Media is a new type of marketing agency for the next age of marketing. We will achieve our mission through the process of driving and supporting four big areas, transforming the marketing profession, evolving marketing for the new economy, revolutionizing the startup ecosystem, and enabling individual agency of identity and data. If your organization is wrestling with the same ideas, or if you're interested in learning more about our ideas for the new economy, please get in touch with us at eopmedia.com. Welcome to the Tech Aunties Podcast, where we're bringing you industry context and vision from myself, Angelia McFarlane, and Gina Rosenthal. On each podcast, we will share our marketing and technology industry experiences along with the tea. Listen to us as we explain the past so you can have context to understand and create your own version of the future. So let's get into it. So today's episode is called, It Starts With the First P. And this episode is about the product side of marketing. And if you listen to our last episode, um, you heard there's a little difference of opinion between myself and Gina on what Mm -hmm. the role of product is in marketing. Um, And so we're hoping that our guest today can provide her perspective. Um, Our guest today is Allie Lyles Jenkins. Allie describes herself as a product nerd focused on widgets that change how people interact, experience technology, and discover information. Her product design philosophy is... Our job is not to design products. It is to help the organization win by creating a competitive advantage with design. As a principal at Slalom Consulting, Allie collaborates with talented people to increase product value by leveraging human-centered design and testing market fit. In true product nerd fashion, Allie enjoys playing with the latest technology and refining prototypes in a sandbox with the belief that all must understand technology. Her award-winning efforts have created competitive advantage for many forward-thinking organizations and initiatives, including the City of New York under former Mayor Michael Bloomberg, Budweiser at Super Bowl 52, Amazon's Echo Dot launch, USAA's Chief Design Office, Dell Technologies, Columbia University's 1,000-cut journey VR project for immersive storytelling, and advising femtech startups at Femtech Focus. You can follow Allie on LinkedIn at Allie Lyles Jenkins. Welcome to the podcast, Allie. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. Of course. Of course. Of course. I wanna I wanna start with your design philosophy. I really I really love your design philosophy. Um talk a little bit about 
what you mean when you say our job's not to design products. And when you say our job's not to design products, who do you mean? Do you mean um, corporations? Do you mean marketing professionals? And then our um, the rest of that statement goes is to help the organization win by creating a competitive advantage with design. Yeah, I you know, I think the stakeholders involved are huge. Um, it's really not only like the people who are purchasing and buying the widgets that we buy, but also the company. And so one of the things that I really like is helping people realize like what's going to work best for them in that big D of design. Um, and that can look like a lot of things. I mean, I think s- sometimes as someone who's been um, trained in, in architecture, that's my, actually my background, oh. uh, building buildings and now products are small buildings to me. Uh, It's always when I walk into a space and try to help people with their widgets, they're like, well, we don't, you know, we we don't have Figma or any of these. Some of the best products I've I've ever created with companies and people um, are actually started with a napkin and a piece of paper and a pencil and just kind of go into town. I think one of the things we think about in design is everyone can do it um, and everyone should be involved in doing it because everyone's a stakeholder. And so um, chief chief point here is um, when I was working on the Echo Dot launch, one of the things that I saw is we were in this big fishbowl of a room, whiteboarding, sticky, doing all those things. And the procurement person was not involved. And she was just kind of wandering the halls. And so I grabbed her and I was like, hey, do you want to come? And she was like, I don't really know what I'm doing. And I'm like, you're the one who's going to be acquiring the hardware to make this product. You should be here, yeah. right? I want you to know what you're doing. And so um, design can be widgets. It could be what we can see, what we can touch. But it can also be how something functions and all that we don't see on the back end. So I invite all to play in the play space. <laughs> <laughs> give, us, give us your definition of product. Um, it, would you be, do, you, do you have a definition for, for if someone says, you know, what's a product, Allie? Yes, I have one, um, and it's going to sound very rote, but I make sure to memorize it because it's something that I have to differentiate from a service. So I think a product really refers to something tangible that is created, designed, or manufactured for sale or consumption. And it's important to underline many times over that word consumption because it satisfies a particular need in the market. And products are largely responsive to the people who are consuming them, and any product that exists in a vacuum without any input is usually not going to stand the test of time because <laughs> <laughs> it was usually made with an N of one in mind. Right. And um, so but that's how I'd, I would define a product, something designed for consumption. So what's your service definition since you said you want to keep that? Do you have a service definition as well? Uh, a service definition is something I, I've been corrected on this before and, and, and I'll, t- I'll take the hit for it, but something that's largely not a widget. Um, you can provide a service along with the product. So uh, Uber is an example of a service that has the Uber product as an app. So it, you can have both in tandem, but it's not something you can touch. It's something you experience. I, I'm glad you you hit on Uber. Um, I I have said that to people before when they say, you know, Ubers Ubers are great. Um, and, and and it wasn't a product discussion, so it's not like they said it was a great product. But I've had the conversation of what they brought to the market is a software application that does location, that does payments, that does. I said the application is what they're 
doing, everything around it um, is is the benefit and the features that it, it enables people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, so I, I'm 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 just really glad that you that you that you that that you use that one as an example. Um, and I don't I don't think people realize that. And so again, this is a marketing episode, <laughs> and so to me, understanding all of that and and realizing um that's all that's all part of the marketing function and i think a lot of people would consider all of those things that happen at uber to either be part of development or you know you're you're in development you do this part you're in driver relations you do this part but to deliver the benefits of that experience i'm going to talk about the experience all of those things have to play together. Right. And um and so for me um I would I would say that that's all part of the marketing function. And so so my question my next question to I disagree. You, I'm just going to I know she disagrees. She <laughs> I does do not agree, agree with her. Hey, healthy dialogue. I love, <laughs> I love it. Let's go. Let's go. But I wanted to ask you, do you believe product design is a marketing function? Um and yes or no? And and please give us your opinion on, You're on why. You're not stuck with just yes or no. You can say what you want. <laughs> uh, I would say probably no. I think the two. Yes. Are, I would say that the two are interdependent. And and it's funny because I actually start. I have a weird career. I, I went in architecture, and then I went into digital strategy. Mm-hmm. Did a lot of social listening and was essentially a digital marketer. Got tired of listening to people complain all the time <laughs> and wanted to change the widget. And so um, as someone who was a nomad, I think this anecdote might explain where I'm coming from with this. As someone who was a digital marketer, I did uh, social listening. I worked at a, a small startup called Social Metrics in Argentina. And what I did was I was a lowly uh, data analyst that did reports for what people were saying about PepsiCo and Fortune 15 companies and whether they like their drinks or their widgets or not. And um, I got really tired of listening to people complain all day. I mean, don't get me wrong. They loved it. But I felt there was a sense of feudalism there that I couldn't change it. Yeah. I would I, I could just look at the data. I could give you the report and, and whoever uh, business holder looked at it. Great. Um, where I felt like I started to kind of deviate is when I worked at I went to a marketing firm at a utilities company. I started to walk over to the product team and say, hey, kind of meekly raise my hand. Uh, I'm hearing that people don't really like the fact that they can't see their consumption during the summer when their bill's the highest, just wanted to report it. And they're like, yeah, go sit down. That's cute. Go sit down. <laughs> um, but uh, eventually when I made my way into product and product design, I was uh, – product marketing. I mean, that's essentially what it was, was just going back and forth because that was the quickest, fastest, real-time way to understand what someone wanted to feel and do with the product. And so I think that design is responsive to the market it because by definition, going back to the definition of product, it's consumable. Um, But marketing can definitely influence a design. How do you you define marketing? Uh, Oof. Marketing, so I'm taking it... Uh oh man, I don't mean to be all esoteric. I think no, it's, no, I want to hear. It. This is great. <laughs> I think I think it's uh marketing are the folks that are in charge of. At one point in time, I would say 
they had like top of the funnel brand visibility. Uh, the CEO of Lowe's said like back in the 1990s, he would put a billboard near I-35 and just hope that people went to Lowe's. <laughs> and, and But he really couldn't tell the IRI. But now because of digital marketing, he knows how many people see an ad on Facebook or whatever platform you're on and knows how many people ended up going to Lowe's. So uh, I think it's it's brand. It is loyalty. It is differentiation. And it is ability to put that information out there. But the difference 20 years now from the 1990s in that billboard is now we're on the receiving end where we can see what people feel maybe too fast. Right. (laughs) Right. So so your definition, in my opinion, is promotion, which is which is part of marketing. Um, And I think that that is. That's probably our disconnect, myself and Gina. No, it's not. Is is <laughs> I believe, I believe that marketing, as a discipline, is defined as product, price, place, and promotion. promotion. And so, but you don't come up with the product. The product exists. That, you don't develop the product. You don't in, design the product. In true, well, the way organizations <laughs> are structured today. I would agree, but I think that's the problem. I mean, I think that's the problem because one of the things that you said, Allie, was that you you were in product marketing and you went over to the development team and you said, people would like to see this, right? They like to understand these things about the product and maybe you should develop them. And they said, get out of here. So in essence, what they were saying is, I don't care what the customer wants. I don't care what this product look like. looks like. I've been told to make this product this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that's the engineering function, right? Yeah. I Yeah. I think it probably just had to do with Allie being 25 years old, not safe, agile, certified, like all of the credentials that a product <laughs> person looks for. Um, but I would, I would agree. I would also say that with that same company, one of the best-selling products uh, products that we produced in two years came out of something I listened to, quote unquote, in marketing is uh, we heard over and over and over again that we didn't have a green product. Um, there are millennials who wanted to be able to not only pay for energy consumption, but wanted to give back at the same time. And so I heard that and brought it over as an idea, put a business plan around it and it became a product. So I think sometimes it can be interdependent. Um, and I'm happy it's shifting that way yes. because it's these siloed ways of, of looking at things creates like products that I don't think I don't even know who uses them. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I, agree so with that. I, I get it. But it is price promotion placement and all the four P's. Yeah. So so tell, talk a little bit about um, and, and this is kind of dovetailing off of what we said um, just a minute ago. Where do you draw the line between design and innovation? So would you say that when you were in product marketing and you came and you gave that customer requirement to the product product team, that that was, that was like design? It was like you need to design it better. Or would you say that's innovation? Where, where, where would you or is there a line? Um, do you see there's, there being a difference between design and innovation? Um, yes, I, I think a little bit. So I think design really refers to the process of creating something, whereas products refers to like the tangible item or service that is created. So when I came over, 
um, I had an idea that was backed by like a teeny bit of data. Um, and one of the best ways to do it is to to test the viability of that is to beta test it and, and do something small, tiny prototype, tiny, this is what this would look like to test to see if it has legs. Um, but I think that design and, and product, um, product is the function of design and it, it the yield of a design and innovation. I don't know. I, that, that's like a 10 cent word. It gets thrown around a lot. <laughs> and, um, and I don't really know what innovation is. <laughs> and that's embarrassing as someone who's like in the industry, right? But the reason why I say that is because innovation can look very different for different companies. And if it's not, sometimes innovation is dispelled if it's not sexy, if it's not on mm. new nouveau. And an example of this is I used to work in Houston for what is now called uh, ION. It, 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 it's a incubator for, for startups. And I came back from Chicago, had some time to mentor and would sit and host office hours. Three hours, you come in, ask for marketing product advice, happy to help. Lucy at the phone booth. And, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a guy who he was uh, owned his own lawn business. And um, something that was innovative for his business was creating an app. It was a no-code app that he pushed to production. It had four pages, and all it allowed someone to do was to book an, um, a slot with him so he could come to your house on Saturday and mow the lawn. That is something that if you were to look at that app, it was maybe tritone, three colors at most, not very glossy, but it was innovative for his company and actually got off the ground, and he's moved light years beyond that. So um it's probably a long, long, long answer to what you're saying, but I, I don't know. I, I get, I get a little feisty with innovation. The word innovation, I think, is loaded. Um, innovation can mean lots of different things to different people and to different companies. Um, I mean, I, I think that was a great answer, though. Okay, <laughs> I try. Yeah. I try. Yeah, no, I think I, I mean, I do agree with you. That's a ten cent word. Um, if if your definition of ten cent is that everybody uses it, yes. and they and most people don't really have a full definition behind it, it's just it's a it's a it's trendy. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but I do like the way that you defined it um, as it's not it's not this you know amorphous static thing. Mm-hmm. It's dependent on who it's serving um, an innovation to the lawn care guy may not be an innovation to some big corporation, but it, but it, it, it drove his business forward. Mm-hmm. I love that answer. Yeah, I absolutely love that answer. Where do you think customers, clients, B2B clients, we just said it's a 10 cent word. Where do you think they struggle? Because to your point, they all say it all the time. <laughs> Um, Innovation being it. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> where do you think they struggle and where do you think they excel when it comes to innovation? Ooh, so many things. Doing too much too soon. Um, adopting glossy habits because their coworker at some other company did it and they have shiny object syndrome. <laughs> um, wanting to keep up with the word innovation, to keep up with the Joneses, I think is the new way. But biting off too much too fast is what I'm seeing by, by large and by far. And it's it's not even so when I look at innovation of, of a pro, you know, insert any PR here for a new product or service that comes out when they say, oh, it's innovation. I always like look and do my like nerdy Google research as to what that product or service was previously. Mm. What is innovative about it and how did it change the company? Um, and and so I think products are amazing. I, I kind of like fangirl out and romanticize products and services because 
at the end of the day, it is a snapshot in time, not only of what we experience our business here in B2B space, business experiences from a business, it's a snapshot in time of what that company did not do. Yeah. That's and point. sometimes that can be all the best. So um, there are uh, stories where Amazon, when they launched Fitbit with Alexa, the first iteration, they wanted to do so much more with Alexa. They wanted Alexa to be in your car. So when you got <laughs> out of the CrossFit gym, it told you how many calories and, and, and all these things. <laughs> but they had to pull back because they their eyes were a little bit too big for the stomach or whatever that saying is. <laughs> and it's not that they weren't well-intentioned. And there's no it's no shade to Amazon or to any, anyone like that. It, but it's a good story for what they saved for the subsequent four, five, six um, iterations of Versa where it's a snapshot of what a company couldn't do at the time and the choices that a company made. Mm-hmm. How many times have you picked up something and been like, why is this like this? What 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 is this going to do? Um, and <laughs> Who thought of this? Who thought of this? <laughs> you, you, you know, and and so sometimes the choices that a company didn't make are, are equally as important. Do you feel that that is the choices that they didn't make are often the difference between success and failure? Ooh, no. Uh, sometimes when a, com- a company does not do what they had it set out to do, sometimes that is success because you can just be doing the most and not getting much from it. <laughs> uh, you, you know, or it's it's that's one of the things I think is important is in product design and innovation is some of the companies that have done it well um have been too big for their britches learned and then did releases and deployments every six months of small 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 changes slack does this really well Mm -hmm. where you'll notice like very small things in the interface that are centered towards customer stickiness user stickiness and uh so not everything needs to be big all at one time i i would consider that a success because what you don't want is something backfiring on something on on something that you spent multi million dollars doing. Right. Yeah. Did you said, have a question? No, I said agree. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> so uh, I want to talk a little bit about the field of design. I'm gonna I'm gonna s- to talk about this the universities and where this area is going. So I've noticed in the past maybe 10, 15 years, that universities are creating new programs around product design. Uh, some of them some of them are very, uh, I, re, I, w- I was looking, um, I didn't put this in the notes, but I was looking at the prog- program that the University of Michigan has, and they have a very robust product design program that goes across multiple different disciplines you you can you can be in it if you're in a business school you can be it if you're in art school um and so what what is your perspective on the field of design and do we have the right do we have the right uh supports to mm-hmm. for that to become a field um, what would your recommendations be for someone who's going into the field? Are these programs the right way to go? Yeah. Um, what's your thoughts around that? Ooh. So I, I think that on merit, I am gung-ho about them. I would encourage them, having not looked at the programming, because obviously it's very different, I'm also a little nervous about them. I'm nervous about higher education in general. Uh, I, I, I was gung-ho about it 
you know, maybe 15 years ago when I got my master's degree, but realizing that it's becoming increasingly irrelevant. And I'm, I'm saying that as someone who hires designers and product designers, um, it depends what that curriculum looks like. If the curriculum is straight up theoretical and learning Figma and, and things like that, those are books and YouTube videos you can read. And what there needs to be a mix of is practical application. Mm. And so this is auntie spilling some tea. One of the things <laughs> that I think um, uh, that I see over and over and over again, and I try to train my my team towards it, is it's a very humbling experience to go out for your first user uh user experience design UX position because you will have egg on your face and because there is a tact to it <laughs> where I see people excelling. And and this is emblematic of the education. So it does go back to what you're talking about where people excel is I will always ask someone to show me their portfolio. I will always ask them to des- describe the problem space. What were they solving for? If they cannot tell the narrative as to how their design met a business need, it falls flat. Where I see folks falling flat is when they're like, well, I picked this color and it it, it did this and uh, here's the widget. And I'm like, why did you do that? What, what, what choices right. did you make? And they're like, well, I just thought it would look nicer. And that's something that I'm hoping and, 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 and admittedly expressing my naivete here is that more and more of these uh, programs provide practical practical application because they are expensive and and I want people to get bang for the buck. But some of the most talented designers I've hired have come out of six month boot camps, uh, followed up by uh, apprenticeships, and they're remarkable because they can tell that they have that theoretical background where they can sling Figma and design anything, but they can also root it in a deep business need. If there's one without the other, it's lopsided. And so um, I'm I'm optimistic that that there's more to choose from. Competition is good because ten years ago there was really only two programs you could do. Now there's like 250 programs mm, we do. Right. And so I, I think the the cream of the crop will rise to the top. But uh, that that's the one cautionary I'll tell I will, I will tell after um, interviewing some of the graduates of some of these programs and finding out that there's still cognitive gaps there. Oh, that's too bad. You've used Figma a couple times, and I think. I think a lot of people know what it is, oh, but uh, everyone everyone <laughs> doesn't. Can you talk a little bit about the the application itself and its significance to to, to the des- area of design? Yeah, um, I guess Figma is, is something that I use most often, but it is a program for product design. So it is similar to like MS Word is, is a program for word processing. Uh, it, it's something that you use. I'm not married to it, but because Adobe recently purchased it, it's an industry standard and, and it's a beautiful product, actually. Um, it, Adobe was smart to do that many, for many reasons, but it allows a designer to create and it allows them to present in one place. Whereas before you were kind of Frankensteining a, a demo and it made the whole, uh, uh, SDLC a lot longer. And, and, and being able to produce a product. So, uh, it's, it's pretty remarkable, but I mean, I'm not married to it. There are a lot of other great products. At the end of the day, I always tell people is like, don't get hung up, hung up on the products. You can do a YouTube, LinkedIn learning series in a weekend and knock it out. It's like how you use it to solve a problem that's more compelling. SDLC, software design lifecycle. Yes. Um. <laughs> Thanks for catching my <laughs> <laughs> No worries. I did want to ask you a question. One of my potential issues with Figma, with Miro, with Mural, 
um, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it, is because they're cloud applications and a lot of people use these applications for designs, Mm -hmm. patent designs. Um, And we know that especially companies the size of Adobe are constantly targeted Mm -hmm. by malicious actors. Um, What's your comfort about putting something that you're designing that may not be in the market today in a cloud-based? You already said you're comfortable with it. Can, Can you tell us, um, why you're comfortable with 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 being able to do that? Yeah, I, I think I largely I, there's a lot of vulnerability there, um, and in putting something publicly out there uh, to the same points that you just mentioned, I have to be reliant on the security structure that it sits on, because as someone who as a as a consultant or someone who does is a freelance consultant, I touch a lot of different products differently, and 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 I would hate. Um, that the work that a company or team product produced got out there and, and, and bad things were done to it. So I just largely always make sure that, um, like my design sits on blockchain, like it's encrypted. So, uh, I always rely on the security structure there and just don't go around willy nilly. Okay. So sometimes like just using like your best habits of what's good and what's a good idea not or, or, apply here. So something that people should be concerned about. Of course, yes. But not necessarily afraid of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think not to be afraid of because they've got um, Adobe especially has so many customers you know, do all doing the same thing with very, not just in the product design space, but their entire suite. So they're probably got the resources to take care of that security better than an individual person would have too. Yeah, if I'm scared, they're mortified. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So as we're coming to the end of time, we've got a few more minutes, and I want to play product design fortune telling. So I'm going to throw out a, a couple of, they're not necessarily products, but they're product areas. Mm-hmm. And I just want to get your thoughts on where you think that area is going. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start. We already talked about Uber earlier. So I'm going to start with Rideshare. So where do you see Rideshare going from a product perspective in the future? Uh, Rideshare, I think, will be taken back by the drivers. So Uber, Lyft um, have a, a, a big big employee disagreement problem right now. I've I checked to Uber and, and, and Lyft drivers and I'm like, hey, do you like your job? And they're like, not really. You know, it was good 10 years ago when these companies rolled out, but they're taking more out of the uh, pockets of, of, of them and their efforts. And so I'm encouraged by there's a startup um, in Texas called Hitch, and, and I don't get commission for mentioning them. Um, but it is a company similar to Rideshare where you can uh, go in on a pool for long rides. So um, my family's in Houston. I live in Austin. And if I go, I go see my family once a month. That's a three hour drive. Mm-hmm. And so Hitch allows you to say, hey, are you going to Houston this weekend? I'm going to. Let's go. And that's six hours of time that's billable by the driver um, if they're even if they're going that way. And with gas prices and inflation and insert that 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 whole preamble here. It makes it more worth it. Mm. And so I think with uh, rideshare, people will never abandon this idea because it's so convenient, but they're going to reclaim it as their own. Mm, I think that's an interesting interesting. part of product, too, because product, uh, especially the services like rideshare and that, depend on people. 
and you know people need to have the same rights that they would have in any other kind of employment situation. So I think mm-hmm. that's an interesting thing to remember too. That is, I I I, I had not heard of of Hitch, but I I will be looking it up. <laughs> yes. NFTs. Ooh, NFT. I think. Um, I don't know. That's one of those things that I was excited about, but I think it faces a branding problem right now for the problem for the product. Actually, uh, folks are here about NFTs being purchased for ten thousand dollars, opening up the certificate, and it's bunk. Um, there have been a fair amount of books written written within the past year that talk about it being a promised economy that's not delivering. And it has nothing to do with the product itself. It has to do with buyer confidence in the product. There are too many people buying certificates. Um, I know Josh Baer, who's like the head of Capital Factory. I was at a black and tech event. One of the things he said is he bought a certificate and then opened it and spent a lot of money on this apparently. And it was bunk. He didn't own anything. And he had basically been swindled. Oh, wow. And so that's – thank you, Josh, for sharing that moment of vulnerability. But unfortunately, and this is kind of a rule of user experience, as people are more apt to remember the horrible experiences they have with the product than the 99% of the time they they spent enjoying your product. And so people are hearing stories like Josh and and, and he's not alone and thinking, "Mm, I'm going to think twice. So if we have like that early adoption product fit chasm where there will always be the early adopters who are really excited and people who are waiting to see what happens to the early adopters and then dip their toe in the water, we're going to continue to hear stories like that. And I think that for that problem, for that reason, the product has a branding problem. Have you seen any, do you know of any startups in that area who you think have a promising solution? Startups, yes. Uh, so I think we're what I, where I'm seeing a lot of momentum, particularly in the Black entrepreneur com- community in Atlanta, is in um, artist rights and mm-hmm. taking back ownership. And I think Nas uh, created NFT and, and sold it for one of his recent albums. Danny Glover is doing the same thing and using it as a rallying cry for we're going to own our stuff now. And I think that I, I and, and that's encouraging. Yeah, because it offers a sense of agency, and I think that the, the older millennials, Gen Zs, are seeing what has happened with the Spotify generations and folks not getting paid for what they're worth, and thinking that's not going to happen to me. So it's a it's a it's entrepreneurial uh, rigor there with getting paid and and showing up for what they're worth. Nice, awesome. What about smart devices? You've you've got all that experience with with, with Alexa. Man, smart you... smart devices are getting too smart. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Um, uh, smart devices. I I think. Uh, and one of the things about product is I I tend to be a private person and play it close to the vest. Uh, but product is something that makes me feel a range of emotions. In about 60 seconds. <laughs> there are things that baffle me. Like, who would do that? I'm scared. And I think one of them um, is, uh, I think that the definition of smart device will change. You know, 10 years ago, um, if you were to told me that I could order groceries from a LED screen on my refrigerator that notices that I'm out of grapes, that would have scared me. But things like that are becoming more and more commonplace so that it's not even a smart device. It's just a device. And so what we're going to see 
is more proactive um, uh, smart devices, quote unquote. So if I am someone who I wouldn't be surprised if I I don't order Starbucks all, all the time, but if that was my vice of choice every day, I order um, a latte around four o'clock. I wouldn't be surprised if on the drive home, some of our smart devices are going to be geolocating us and prompting us to proactively be like, would you like your Starbucks today? Ten percent off. Ooh, so percent off Starbucks. Yes. <laughs> that gives me that gave me a range of emotions in less than sixty seconds, Allie. Well, that's the scary part of it. I can give an example for me. Mm-hmm. Today. So I've yes. been, I I have AFib working on a lot of things for that, but um, I had an episode yesterday because strangely enough, I went to a sleep studies, which is one of the things we're working on. I only got three hours of sleep in a sleep study. I think that's very misleading. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be a very nice sleep. It was not. <laughs> <laughs> but they did study stuff and it was great. So um, I have a device, a cardia that mm-hmm. you put on your leg and it tells you if you're an AFib or not. It can actually do an EKG, which is cool. That's cool. But they put they pushed recently an update to my Fitbit where I'd started AFib when I was asleep. And usually I cycle through. So mm-hmm. AFib, your heart is just kind of like out of rhythm. Mm-hmm. And then it comes back into normal sinus rhythm. That's what you're going for is to stay in normal so you don't get used to being AFib. So um, when I was asleep, I finally got waken up by Jubilee. I'm positive my dog wakes me up for things that are happening to me. <laughs> but like I had been through one whole cycle of AFib and I was in another. So I knew I had like another one to go. And then I had took my medicine and everything was fine. But I thought that was proactive. And that being proactive is awesome because now I take... I can print a report, or I don't even print it. I email it to the nurse for my doctor. So she has my cardio report. She has my Fitbit reports. And they can see what's happening, which makes them feel better about, you know, taking um, a better, a, a, a more proactive, longer way to treat what's going on mm-hmm. than just going in and going doing heart surgery right away, which is what I don't want. So, yes. right. So I think there's there are some like, yes, do I really, are we going to, we're going to have pop-ups forever, which is, I just can't believe that we're still, we're back to pop-ups. <laughs> but we also have, I think there's things that are very good. Like I, I'm so happy my Fitbit does that for me automatically that it just tells me, and it tells me like, uh, you better look at this. We think you might be <laughs> having yeah. an event. You know? Yes, yes. And I think that there's oh, – and that's what's amazing about it is that like um, someone's petrification is another person's win. I think there are wins here. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah. For someone who has that Starbucks vice every day, I'm sure it's very convenient to be told where the closest Starbucks is when they're leaving the gym or whatever. And 10% off. Yes, <laughs> yes. But uh, for me, it's terrifying. And But maybe in yeah, two yeah, years it, it'll be it better. It is terrifying. I think it's terrifying. <laughs> what about – since we're talking about these two, these both of them rely on customer data. Mm-hmm. The Starbucks scenario you gave and the Cardia scenario that Gina just gave. Where do you think customer data is going in the future? Mm. Uh, c- customer data. It's one of those things that uh, I'm not entirely sure who it's a factor to. And I think that that was a weird way of saying that um, co- companies are increasingly and as they should be worried about data security for their customers. Um, that 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 is something that if leaked could manifest in a multimillion dollar lawsuit. Right. I'm more so concerned about the consumer perspective, how freely people give their information, whether breaches are largely non-issues these days. Um, there are breaches that happen and it's like, oh, well, like. I'll guess I'll find out if I have identity theft in six months. So where customer data is, is it would be interesting to begin to see, and we're starting to see some 
um, uh, folks work on on projects where they're taking their data back. And so blockchain is something that is uh, data encryption. Uh, and it's largely we thought about it in the B2B consumer space, but more and more individuals are looking at it to protect their their homes, mm-hmm. that their IoT space and thinking of it as like kind of like that geek that has his own server in the basement and has her own server in the basement. Like I'm going to use this to protect my information and build a fortress so things don't happen to me. Right. I happen to it. So um, that's why I start seeing, start to see some potential here is like what consumers are going to do to guard their data. What about the not just data, but um, kind of the digital breadcrumbs? Yes, uh, I, I, you know, I would have been less discouraged by that if it weren't for the fact that, to your point, I think something that's promising is Apple's uh, recent prompt about a year year ago, I guess, about not to follow or ask not or do, do not allow the information to be stored. I can have a choice here, mm-hmm. and that was something that's powerful for Apple. Businesses didn't like it, but consumers loved it yeah. because they had a choice. And so they people don't want to accept cookies unless they come with milk. Uh, and, you know, they're just a li- being a little bit more guarded. And so I think breadcrumbs are definitely part of it because it's it's the footprint that we leave around the world everywhere we go. So if you want to be followed and get your 10% star back and know where every Starbucks is. You got to trade it. There's a trade off. Yeah. yeah. You want the 10% off? <laughs> I'll pay right, right. the $2 to not do it. <laughs> so I want to... Um, in this in this session with and I, I try to do this with most of the guests is what's your advice? What's your advice to your younger self if you if you if you were able to give yourself advice? And then what's your advice to someone who's interested in a career in product design? What would you tell them to do? Um, I think the advice for both alleys. The, a four-year-old Allie and a 37-year-old Allie would be the same or someone like Allie. It would be to, don't be afraid to play. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I, it, 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 whether it's a sandbox or I always have Japanese gel pens with me and a blank book to always play. Um, and it is something that one of the things I don't like that comes with the design, unfortunately, is, is pretentiousness. I can't stand pretentious people, <laughs> pretentious things, is that we need to make this more approachable because there are far too many designs out there that I'm like, this was never made for me. I hold phones that I I can't even hold a phone in my hand comfortably without it cramping because it was not made for my hand. It was made for a man's hand. Um, there are devices I use. And so the more people can be dissuaded from this pretension, the more people can play and feel invited into at the, to have a seat at the table is important because we'll start to see more interesting products out there by people who create them. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think, uh, that's something I would give advice to anyone. Um, it is very difficult. The more you play, the more you learn how to think. One of the things I tell design teams that I help mentor and, and, and young designers I help mentor, particularly designers of color, is that it's very difficult to teach how to think. It's very easy to learn Figma, Balsamic, insert product here in a weekend. And um, one of the ways it was described to me is I, I long time ago, I got my master's degree at Columbia and I thought I was going to be an architect. When I found out it t- <laughs> took 10 years to see a building built, <laughs> I backed away from that. <laughs> and the professor would always come and do desk crits. So I would build something 
and or design something and he, he come look at it and he said, Allie, the hardest thing to teach in in and you know quell your your uh, expectations here for for the two years that you'll be here for this master's degree, the hardest thing to teach is thought. You can have five thousand dollars worth of cookery in your kitchen. It doesn't mean you te- you work like Gordon Ramsay, and you make food like Gordon Ramsay. So play insights thought, and anything else, whatever tool, the new widget these days, you'll learn it. But thought yeah. is hard to find to teach and know. Um, I don't want to. I don't. I I really want to ask a second question, but I don't want to <laughs> get off on a whole nother podcast because I love what you said. And I wanted to ask the question, do you believe the reason that it's hard to teach thought is because our education system is not designed to allow thought? It is designed for rote memorization and and the right answer versus exploration. Ooh. That's a loaded question, but yes, <laughs> yes, that that that, that, that is like a Ken Burns <laughs> podcast. Uh, yeah, yes, I I would say it's also the way the way people learn. Um, so I have a six year old niece, and she loves art. And I would say I, I I don't have children of my own, and I she is how I've gone through life looking at the education system, and she is learning how to do art on an iPad, and not knocking the iPad, not knocking any tablet. Well, why don't you just throw the girls some co- some construction paper and some crayons? What happened to that? And so there's something tactile about creating something. Mm. Um, and it needn't be nouveau. And honestly, it's probably not the best way to teach. So it's, it's the ways things are being taught that we can't go brass tacks. Because by teaching on any sort of tablet device, she gets pop-ups from YouTube kids about go look at this Twitch video or whatever. And she's distracted and she needs to play. And so, uh, Ken Bird's episode aside, I think, uh, it, it's the way people are taught that I, I think, um, doesn't insight play because she's just reacting to a screen and flicking, flickering images when she just needs a piece of sh- uh, computer paper and a Crayola set and she'll be good. I just want to reiterate that you said play. You didn't specifically say this, but if you're constantly being distracted, you can't play. No. No, and no, I, no. I, I, you, you keep you. I, it's your fault, Allie, because you keep dropping <laughs> these gems on the. But, but I just so as we come to the end, I wanted to thank you so much for your time. Um, I want to just highlight your perspective on what a product is before we. You said tangible. It's something that you create. Um, it is manufactured f- specifically for consumption. And then you said services are in, are go around a product. Mm-hmm. So you, services themselves are not product. Um, and so and then and then, of course, you just gave us this wonderful gem on on play. Um, so I so appreciate you joining us today. If you all want to follow Ale, she is on, and I keep saying Ale, her name is Allie. Got it. Forgive me. You're good. Um, you can follow her on LinkedIn at Allie Lyles Jenkins, A-L-L-E-Y. Um, she is a consultant at Slalom Consulting, um, and you can probably connect with her there as well if you'd like to hire her services. Thank you, Allie, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Woohoo. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today on the Tech Aunties podcast. 
If you have a topic you would like us to cover, please connect with us on LinkedIn and Instagram. You can also find this episode and others at techaunties.com. Until next time, y'all be sweet.